I'd like to welcome back Stuart Allcroft, Asian Fund Management Management Industry Consultant. Looking very tanned and relaxed, Stuart. How was your holiday? Yeah, thank you, Stephen. Now, I'd never thought I would find Benny Hill appearing, appearing on a finance programme, but that's pretty good achievement for you. <laughs> I thought so. I thought so. But I couldn't get that song out of my head oh, when dear. I heard the word Ernie. Yes, Ernie, um, the, milk, the fastest milkman in the West. Are you going to sing it for us? Not a chance. Not a chance. Maybe Barry will. Because also joining us is our very own Barry Wood, RTHK's economic correspondent. Good morning, Barry. And how familiar are hey, you I with that song? I can't match this. You English guys, I can't match that. But good morning. Is, is Barry Hill, or was Barry Hill, should I say? Um, Benny Hill. Benny Hill. Famous in the US, or was he more a British no, thing? No, he was not. That was very esoteric. But there was a very strong in-group that knows all about it. Oh, yes, we're part of the Betty Hill cult, I think, Stuart and I are, but um, maybe you could join us. Anyway, great to have you both back, and as I know, you often just have the complete discussion for 15 minutes between you all. Um, It's going to make my job easy. But let's start off with the Belt and Road Initiative. Um, What are you expecting to come out of the mainland this week, including anything from the Belt and Road meeting, Stuart? Uh, well, Belt and Road, it's, uh, what am I expecting out of China? Well, probably another half million visitors to Hong Kong. Uh, that's a good start. Um, but the Belt and Road, this has been going on now for nearly 10 years. Uh, President Xi Jinping is really enthusiastic about it still. It's designed as a, as a scheme to enable Chinese infrastructure development across um, the globe. Uh, I think with the current meeting, yes, there will be lots of deals announced, lots of things. Uh, you played a little clip of Lawrence Lai talking about some benefits to Hong Kong. Um, one thing that I think is of concern, though, and that yeah. is with uh, President Putin visiting um, China at the same time, is there an intent to try and bring Russia into this? If there is, that could eventually be a risk to Belt and Road rather than a support to it. How do you see that? Well, because um, Russia is not exactly um, the most... Um, popular? Uh, popular, yeah, that could be one way of putting it. It, it, it. it certainly is a persona non grata for many countries because of its um, attempt to annex uh, Ukraine uh, and the invasion of Ukraine. Um, and I think that if uh, Belt and Road does try to bring Russia in, the US might become even more aggressive against Belt and Road than it has been in the past. Barry? Well, I think Stuart's on to something. Uh, look, the Putin visit to Beijing has been talked about for several weeks. But that it occurs right now during this important forum, I think, is significant. And I think probably China wants to bring Russia in. I mean, if you look at the globe, uh, so much of the connection between China and Europe connects through Russia and the former Soviet states. So it's almost inevitable that it would come in. But I think, as Stuart also indicated, it's uh, a 10-year-old project now, the, the concept. It's obviously done good things for the beneficiaries. But it's also raised questions about the debt of the Belt and Road Initiative that is burdened with the countries that are the recipients. We don't really know a lot about that. And we do know that Italy has dropped out. Correct. And that's sort of the mm. terminus 
in 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 Europe. The Greeks have not dropped out, but the the port is now Chinese owned. So I think uh, the Belt and Road Initiative uh, is ongoing. Clearly, uh, is probably not as flashy a concept as it was a few years back, but it uh, is significant. Yeah. yeah, and mm. one of the things, of course, is that um, banks in China have benefited by being able to lend money right across the world in a way that probably previously they couldn't. But the, the, now that interest rates are going back up again, that's going to become a more expensive item for a lot of the com companies and countries that are borrowed. And and that might now seem to be, be seen to be more negative than it was before. Yeah, that's going to be quite a challenge. And it's had mixed reviews, shall we say, over the last 10 yep. years. But they, they, they certainly seem to be focused on sorting it out, don't they? Yeah. And having a, a positive way forward. I think that's right. OK, I want to move on to the lack of a US speaker now, Barry. Now, I know that's affecting decisions like money to Ukraine, etc. Um, is it going to affect decisions at all that affect the economy? Quite possibly, yes. It's a mess. It's a mess. And there's no resolution as we speak on Tuesday evening in Washington. The next vote, because Jim Jordan, who they thought was going to be the nominee and might limp through on Tuesday, he lost by more than 20 votes. All the Democrats stood alone and voted for their person who they knew would not become speaker. So there'll be another vote on Wednesday. The longer this goes on, no House of Representative business, as you suggest, Stephen, mm. can take place. So here's the Biden administration with two very significant conflicts underway in Israel and in Ukraine. And they're talking, the administration, about $100 billion of additional aid. Now, that's a huge number, but it can't happen. Nothing can happen in terms of additional spending without a House speaker. And that's only the beginning. Then it has to go through committees, etc. So the Republicans, I think, and I'll carefully weigh my words, they're in the process of self-destructing. Because if they can't elect a speaker, then the Democrats will have a field day politically. Barry, so is there an any reason why? Process. Is there any reason why the um, what was it? Twenty Republicans voted against uh, this guy. Yes, I think that it gets down to personality, Stuart. Uh, everyone has a track record if you're in the Congress, and Jim Jordan, who was a former wrestling coach at Ohio State University, he's always seen in shirt sleeves. Well, he's been wrapped up and accused of ignoring a homosexual encounter involving not himself, but the head coach, not, not speaking up about it. He's also very much to the right. He was in league with Donald Trump in terms of, you know, contesting the, 19, the 2020 election. So here's a man that's far to the right, now, maybe not far to the right, certainly to the right of Kevin McCarthy and to the right of Steve Scalise. And now many people hold that against him. So he may drop out and there may be someone else. We really don't have a clue. Bit of um, a mess, right? Yeah. I think the last one, what went to, was it 15 or 50 votes, Barry? 
Well, yes. Then, <laughs> Stephen, we go back to January. Correct. When it looked like uh, Mr. McCarthy, after 15 votes, 15, 15, would become a speaker and have some durability. Well, that wasn't to be the case. And boy, did I have that <laughs> wrong about a month ago when I said he was in a strong position. Yeah, I, I remember that. But, uh, Barry, so if there's a, a crisis in the economy, there'd be nothing they could really do to action anything significant until they have a speaker. Well, that's jumping ahead, Stephen. Uh, yeah. Crisis in the economy, that could come from lots of different things, not least of which would be those two conflicts we're talking about, particularly, uh, you know, with the president soon to be in Israel and the the meeting he was going to have in Amman, Jordan, cancelled this terrible disaster that's occurred in, in Gaza. There's too much uncertainty. The oil price could be uh, a, a joker in the deck. Uh, certainly lots of things could be. But I don't think the action, the lack of action in the House of Representatives is itself going to trigger any kind of economic impact that big. But just be, have its hands tied behind its back to deal with them. Well, that's true, yes. Yeah. Okay, let's go on for a question now for Stuart. So um, everyone's on tenterhooks to see if Country Garden will default today. What would be the neg negative impact if it does, Stuart? Well, frankly, no surprise. Um, Country Garden, like Evergrande, is heavily indebted between them. They have over $400 billion of debt. Um, it's been, um, this is to pay the um, dividend or, or, or the interest on a, on a bond that has been outstanding. And um, I, it's struggling to raise money. Um, Country Garden uh, and all property companies in China are, are really suffering rather badly because the property market is collapsing. Um, they have the debt, they, they have an excess of property that they can't sell and no one wants to buy. Uh, you've got examples. Country Garden is a good example because they've got this big town that they built um, on the um, peninsula between Malaysia and Singapore. Um, uh, and they've hardly sold any of that and they've spent billions on it. So, you know, you've got all these issues going on. And uh, so uh, if they don't pay their if they don't pay um, their bond as a, and it defaults, that probably won't be a great surprise to the market. But of course, it will mean that uh, um, the, the company is is in its slow decline. Yeah. Whether it will go to eventual bankruptcy or complete collapse is still a long way um, to go. And, and, and China is very likely to want to try to do something to help, but it's unclear what, that, what it can do to help. I guess if it happens, it could still be a big knock to the Chinese, the confidence in the Chinese economy. Uh, yes. Yeah, uh, well, it's, uh, it's been known about for a long time. And, and, and Do you think it's kind of people, built in already? But, but, you see, I mean, you've got to remember that foreign investors are not terribly heavily invested in China at the moment, so the influence on the rest of the world won't be that great. Yes, locally it will be influential, and maybe the indices will, will fall a bit more. OK, let's move on to Japan now, because the leading labour union, Rengo, is reportedly planning to demand a more than 5% pay rise. Now, with Japanese wages falling in real terms for a long time now, my question is, why wouldn't they have done this before, 
Stewart? <laughs> well, it's a good question. Um, you know, Japanese labour unions have not been seen to be terribly strong over the last 30 or 40 years. and uh, But at the same time, we've had almost zero or even negative interest rates. We've had um, fairly close to zero inflation, um, almost no economic growth. And now that's all changing. And so I think it's probably um, time for the unions to wake up from their deep slumber and see whether there is something that they can do to, to make themselves relevant again. Um, and, and that relevancy is to see if they can get uh, higher wages for their members. Uh, I, I can't tell you how many will be involved because I don't know the answer to that, but it's probably, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it, it's, it's what's been going on around the world with lots of other countries as well, that unions have woken up to the idea that they need to, to get more wages for their, for their membership. And what surprises me is the Japan Prime Minister and the Governor of the Bank of Japan are both very positive about it. That's not something you often get with when a union asks no. for a high pay rise. No. Any, anyway, Barry, talking of unions, there's lots of stuff going on with strikes in the US. What's the latest on them? Well, no progress for the United Auto Workers and the... Detroit three companies, yeah. I think there could be a settlement at any time. But I would say, just as my comment about the Republican Party self-destructing, I'm afraid that the Detroit three are self-destructing, including with their workers, because a 20 to 30 percent wage increase and other kind of benefits that the union may get uh, doesn't make the competitive position of the Detroit automakers better against the foreign-owned companies yeah, that are the active in building cars in mm. the U.S., or certainly against Tesla. So it's a very important strike, and I'm afraid that uh, no one's going to win if you're from Michigan like I am, because uh, this, this is bad news. Well, thank you both. A refreshed Stuart Oldcroft, Asian Fund Management Industry Consultant, and Barry Wood, RTHK's economic correspondent. Great, great talking to you both.